Welcome, everyone. This is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, where we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready. Let's go. We're going to begin and then we're going to go right into our discussion. But what I was saying to the 715 group, I was I was um, reminding them, those who were apart, that uh, on this past Saturday, on this past Saturday, I shared a lesson in the installation service of Pastor Lori Huffman entitled, Living in the projects. Um, I don't know that it's on Facebook, but it is on YouTube. Um, but the title of the lesson was Living in the Projects. And the point of the lesson in that context is that every human being is God's project. And what God does with pastors is that he puts us in the potter's house where all God's projects are. And he uses us as one of his hands to help shape these projects into the configuration that God intended for their lives. That's right. And so that's the pastoral or a pastoral application. All right. But that's not all. That word when it came to me, it was not primarily a pastoral word. It was primarily a kingdom professional word. And that is that all of us are people of projects. Our God is the progenitor of the project. Bless you, Pastor Cleveland. When we meet God, in Genesis chapter one, he's in a construction project. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I've told you many times in these sessions that when we meet God, he's not wearing a crown. He's not sitting on a throne. He's not wearing a lay around his neck. He's not wearing a garland. He's wearing a, a hard hat. He, he's wearing a work hat. You understand what I mean when I say that? He's, he's doing something. He's in a project, heaven, his project, earth, his project. And within his macro projects, there are many micro projects. And finally he gets to, uh, in chapter one, verse 26, let us make man, there's God's project. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And you know what? Ever since the sixth day, he's still been making man. And when he saves a person, and as him or her to the church, the pastor's responsibility is to join in that invitation that God extended. Let us make man. That is, you're not the creator, but I want to use you as one of my hands as the shaper, a shaper of that man. That's why one of the uh, one of the bylines of FKP is makers and shapers. Makers and shapers, makers and shapers of culture, makers and shapers of systems, not makers of people, but shapers of people. That's God's plan for us. That's who we are. We're makers and shapers. Can you see it? So I'm excited. I don't know if you can tell, but I am quite excited at the prospect of being one of those who um, supports God's project. And I'm going to tell you that one of the most exciting things, one of the most exciting aspects of my life is that I get the opportunity to help shape God's projects. You, every one of you that are on this stream and that are on the phones, you are God's project. 
what happens with me, with you on at 715 and 11:30 on Monday is that I get a chance to help shape. You know, the Bible says that the potter, that's what we read, Jeremiah 18, the potter has a vessel on the wheels. See? And while the vessel is turning on the wheels, the hands, the hands get a chance to touch it, shape it, turn it. I'm I, I'm I get a chance to kind of shape just a little bit on the Monday rotation. Now somebody else is doing it on Tuesday through whenever else. But on Monday, I get a chance to do just a little bit more shaping. You understand? So, so you are God's project. All right, that's the second component. Here's the third component. You, my friend, are to be a person of projects. A person of projects. You're supposed to be about something. You know, when uh, maybe in the 90s, there used to be this expression, you got to be about it, about it. I don't know if you remember that expression, but um, you're to be about something. God did not just put you on this earth to take up space. God did not put you on this, uh, on this planet just for you to inhale his oxygen and, uh, and breathe out carbon dioxide. There's more to you. There's more to you. You're to be about something, about building something, about writing something, about designing something, about engineering something, about composing something, about singing something, about dancing something, choreographing something. You understand you are to be about something. Come on, Brother Lee. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying there? You to be about, what are you about? What are you working on? What is your project? What is your project? And many of us, most of us have and are a macro project within which there are my, uh, micro projects. Come on, Sister Quantation. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? I said that uh, um, every one of you, there ought to be, <laughs> come on, son. Did you hear what I said? Uh, listen, don't you all, don't you all, don't you all, uh, don't get me too, too tickled here. You are called of God to be about something. That's what your gifts are about. And I said your gifts, God's gift in you. That's what they're about. You are to be accomplishing something, working on something. I asked you a few weeks ago, I asked you yet again, what are you working on? And, and as I stated this morning, once again, in the 715 session, those projects that you have, so the favor, I'm coming, I'm, I'm coming down your lane that in the 90s, listen, the things that you're working on, Dr. Bellinger, have different stages of development. There's some things that are in the most incipient stages. Some things that are just, wow, I never thought about that. Then there are other things you've begun to write them down. Okay? There's some other things you've actually shared them with others. Maybe you've met with somebody to help you develop a business plan. Others of you, you're already in the midst of your business plan. Some of you, not only in your business plan, but you're actually in the rollout, in the implementation. Maybe you've got a, a prototype of your invention, right? And then others of you, you've got a you've got a storefront, you've got an actual business, you've got a cafe, you've got tables, you've got waiters, you've got all those things, those projects that God has given you are at different stages of development. I understand, but all of us are to be about something. When you cease to be about something, really, you're beginning to die. One of the things that can keep you vital and vibrant is that you're always about something. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what the calendar says about you. The calendar does not define you. It's your mentality. It's your attitude. It's your visionary posture and perspective. It's your passion. And most of all, it's your connection to God. Those are the things 
that define you. Did you hear what I said there? So you've got to remain. You've got to remain about something. When you get up in the morning, you've got to have it in your soul. I'm about something. I'm not just talking about the problems. I know problems arise, but, but even the problem has to be framed within the perspective. The reason why there's a problem is because I'm working on a project. And all projects bring problems. As a matter of fact, the purpose of the project is to resolve some problem. The purpose of the project is to resolve some problem. So you'll never be, Lord help me, I really don't want to say this quite this way, but I'll say it. You will never be without a problem as long as you're not without a project. Because the purpose of the project is to resolve problems. But when you begin to work to define or, excuse me, to resolve problems, that opens up a new set of problems. When I say problem, that's a very negative sounding word. So uh, challenges, when you resolve and meet one challenge, it opens up new challenges. For example, all right, people need to eat. That's a problem. You open the cafe or the restaurant. You've begun to help resolve that problem. But resolving that problem creates new problems. You got to make sure you keep your food supplies in. You got to make sure all your inspections are properly dealt with. You got to make sure you've got the right quality of waiters and waitresses or hosts and hostesses, what have you. You got to make sure that you have a trustworthy staff. And then when the thing begins to grow, that's good, but it's a good problem, right? Now you got to figure out, can this building you're in hold it? Or are you going to have to buy or lease or build another building? So the project is designed to resolve a problem. But when you resolve the problem with the project, it gives rise to new problems. That is new challenges. Okay. Uh, but that doesn't, that doesn't, um, that doesn't pose uh, an ultimate threat to you. You feel, listen to me, listen to me. We've got to pray, but listen to me. That doesn't, that doesn't uh, ultimately make your life a bad life. The fact that you're continually confronting and overcoming challenges. No, uh, as a matter of fact, it makes you in the, in the terminology of our series, it makes you a giant slayer. That's what it makes you. It makes you a giant killer. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm going to back up off that because something else just, just rolls up. I, I'm going to back up off that. <laughs> but you are a giant slayer. And you're not just a giant slayer for yourself, but you're a giant slayer for somebody else. That was yesterday's lesson a bit. Uh, uh, the scripture tells us that Abishai killed David's giant. God will enable you to be a giant killer for somebody else. Um, I see uh, Brother Judah Rogers talking about his upcoming child development center. Well, that's going to solve a problem for the parent who has a heart for that child to be developed, but maybe doesn't have the skills. Uh, doesn't have the skills uh, to uh, develop the child properly. Doesn't know how to teach the child the alphabet or the uh, basic numbers or uh, the colors, how to do it effectively. And so Brother Judah with that child development center resolves the problem. But you do understand that the project, the center designed to resolve the problem, parents needing care for their children, now it produces for him new problems. He mentioned the inspection process. That's a problem for him. It's a challenge, in other words. He can meet it. He can confront and overcome it. But it is a challenge. Does that make sense? I'm already excited. I need to kind of pull back just a bit. Let's pray, and then we will pick up our lesson for today. But you're getting this, aren't you? I'm talking about who you are and that you have a project. Listen, listen, 
uh, the killing of Goliath became David's project. Israel's problem was Goliath. So killing Goliath, thereby eradicating Israel's problem, became David's project. David fulfilled and completed his project successfully. But believe it or not, the project produced problems. Why do you say that? Well, for one, the women began to sing. They said, uh, Saul has slain his thousands and David his 10,000. And Saul became envious and suspicious of David from that day forward. All David did was fulfill the project and up comes a great big problem. Wow, 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 wow. Here's another, here's another project, uh, excuse me, another problem. And, and I need you all to hear me. Here's another problem that arose. Whenever you succeed, I've already dealt with it in a measure. I'm coming back to it. Whenever you succeed in the fulfillment of your project, don't be surprised that you become better known. And when you become better known, there can arise a greater demand upon you. All right? Fame comes with a fee. Fame, fame comes with a fee. I'm not talking about the fee that you receive. I'm talking about the fee you pay. As long as David, excuse me, David was unknown, he could hang out with the sheep, sing, compose his music, go home and eat, call it a day, what have you. But when you become well-known in your field, in your area, fame comes with a fee. And like I said, not merely the fee you earn, I mean the fee you pay. You begin to more and more give up your right to discretionary time, give up your time, uh, excuse me, give up your right to certain casual activities. Some people become so famous that they even give up their right to be seen in public without a bodyguard. Fame comes with a fee. If it's nothing more than your, your family knows you make a lot of money, and so you got a lot of people calling you talking about, cuz, let me hold something. Fame comes with a fee. So I need you to be very clear, and, and really that's a part of my emphasis today that when God gives you what you want, when God answers your prayer, when God grants the desires of your heart, many times that provision, that benefit actually brings its own issues along with it. Let's go ahead and pray now. Father, thank you that you have made it possible for us to come together. Thank you that you have uh, sustained us and you have energized us, fortified us, and has given us a great opportunity to think your thoughts after you. You said that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts than our thoughts. We glorify you now. We ask that you would guide these proceedings, guide our discussion. Give us what you would have us to see and say. But then even more important than that, guide our words, our works, our ways that we may live out what it is that you are giving us in this moment. I pray for every professional. I pray for him or her in his or her domain or realm or dimension, measure of rule, stewardship. I pray that whatever it is you have assigned to them and whatever it is to whom or to which you've assigned them that you will cause them to have the kind of connection therewith that will be beneficial, that will be profitable, that will be productive. Every need that exists in their arena, I ask you to supply those needs. Every need that exists in their personal lives, I ask you to supply those needs. 
and every need that they have been called to solve as a problem. Give them greater strategy, give them greater resource, give them greater courage, give them greater character that they might resolve those issues, slay those giants that are terrorizing loved ones. And we give you glory for it. You so love the world. And so our loved ones or anyone in the world, you raise these men and women up to resolve problems, to confront challenges. And we thank you in Jesus' name. We welcome the spirit of God. Amen and amen. Let's let's dive into our or back in back into our uh, discussion. Remember those uh, nine aspects to know myself. Excuse me, my sender, myself, my superior slash system, my skill, my service, my scope, my schedule, my satisfaction, and my successor. We're still dealing with satisfaction, but successors are really a part of the whole satisfaction component. Uh, John the Baptist is our case study. How many know that in research and in training for various professions, there are case studies that take the principles that you've learned and show how they walk out and work out in an individual's life. That's what we're dealing with here. John the Baptist is our case study. He is an example of someone who knows his assignment. So the Gospel of John chapter 1, and this is the record, verse 19, and this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ, because he knew that's what they wanted to know. They wanted to know, do you claim to be the Messiah? Because you're really stirring up some things around here. Who are you? And he said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not that prophet. I'm not any of that. Well, what are you? Who are you? Um, verse 23, he says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet, he says. If you continue reading, you'll find that verse 31, he says, and I knew him not. He's talking about Messiah. We know that's Jesus, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, am I come baptizing with water? He says, I have two primary prongs of my assignment. Number one, to prepare the nation for the Messiah. And number two, to prepare and present Messiah for the nation. He said, that, that's my assignment. These other things you're trying to make me, I'm not bad. And we're talking to you about knowing that assignment that God has placed upon your life. Knowing why he has made you as he's made you and placed you as he has placed you. If you and if I, if we are successful in the completion of our assignment, our God give a God-ordained assignment, there is to be derived from it satisfaction. And I've been talking about that a little, but I want to go a little deeper into it today. Um, let's look at something. Deuteronomy chapter 25. You know, I said that one of the first levels of satisfaction is um, material remuneration, uh, material benefit, financial benefit, or other material uh, profit or material uh, 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 increase. We talked about the fact that, um, all right, Sister Hammett, that's one of those FKP praise reports. A call from David's bridal on Friday. They heard her name somewhere. You remember on Monday, we said that God is your name dropper, that he'll be your publicist. That's what Sister Hammond is giving testimony there. They said they need her to work for them. <laughs> Isn't that good? And established a historic bridal shop. Heard her name from somewhere and say to her, they need her. Not she needs to go apply to them. They need her to work for them. That sounds like last Monday. You need to go check that out. 
All right. Uh, Deuteronomy 25 and 4. Um, I said to you that there is a, uh, a paycheck associated with the fulfilling of your assignment. I said that the paycheck is not always material, but there will be some aspect of your paycheck that will be material. Deuteronomy 25 and 4. You know, we have these warped ideas about God. Many of us are raised with them. And uh, part of what we're doing is trying to undo some of those fallacious ideas so that we can replace them, displace the false, and replace them with the truth. Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 4. God says, thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. You know what he's saying? If you've got a work animal, you've got a domestic animal that is serving with you in planting your crop, in uh, maintaining and sustaining, cultivating your crop, and then in harvesting your crop. He said, "Don't when you get to that point of, 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 of harvesting, don't, don't, um, don't muzzle the ox. If he's treading out the corner, that literally means he's helping to winnow. He, it's a different kind of winnowing involves wind. But he's helping to uh, uh, disaggregate the grain from the husk. He said, don't muzzle him. You know what he's saying? If the ox is helping you to do the work, the ox should benefit from the work. Now, if that, well, don't let me say it. Let Paul say it. First Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Remember what Deuteronomy said, 25.4. Do not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. All right? So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Listen, verse 7. Who goeth a warfare at any time uh, at his own charges? Who planted the vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? Who feedeth the flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law also? For it is written in the law of Moses. We just read it. We just read it. We, we, we just read it in the law of Moses. Deuteronomy 25 and 4. You know that's the fifth of the books of the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law of Moses. He says, for it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. And then let's let Reverend Paul preach this sermon to us. Does God take care for oxen? In other words, when God put that verse in the scripture, was God really telling us this just because he wants us to be kind to animals? Yes, he wants us to be kind to animals, but that's not just what he has in mind. See, Paul is teaching us that we are to take the practical and from the practical extrapolate the principle. Look at verse 10. Or saith he it altogether for our sake. He said, God is not just teaching you how to treat animals. He's trying to teach you how to treat anyone who aids you in the fulfilling of an assignment. All right? So look at verse uh, 10 again. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes. For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. Or in other words, the word hope in the New Testament means, and in the Old, means desire or expectation. He says, he that ploweth should plow with an expectation. He that uh, thresheth in hope should be partaker of the hope of the fellow who plowed. Or in other words, everybody engaged in the process should have some expectation to benefit from the outcome. That's what God is teaching us. Everybody who contributes to this process should be able to derive some sort of benefit from the outcome. What's that mean? God says, if you work for me, if you read that whole ninth chapter, Paul is talking about those who work for God in ministry, but it applies to all of us because God's work is not just preaching and teaching. God's work is cosmetology. God's work uh, again, is industry. God's work is entertainment. God says, if you work for me and work with me, in other words, you partner with me in my work. Did you see it? 
If you partner with me in my work, you should benefit from the process if you contribute to the process. Does that make sense? All right. So those of you who are business leaders, if you are a business owner or business operator, or if you are on your way to being one, keep that in mind that God says the people who contribute to your process should also expect to benefit from that process's outcomes. God has no problem with that. Sometimes we have this idea, you know, working with Jesus, working with Jesus, you know, working with Jesus. Well, it's really about working with Jesus. But if you do it and you do it well, there is satisfaction to be derived from that. There is to be gratification that's derived from that. Don't forget this threefold uh, phrase. Don't forget this threefold phrase right here, okay? As a professional. When you do what you do as a professional, there is one threefold outcome that you are reaching for. The glory of God, the good of people, and the gratification of the one who serves. The glory of God, the good of people, and your own gratification. Don't struggle with that. Don't choke. <laughs> no. No. All three of them are legitimate. And they're in this hierarchy. They're in this ranking. First and foremost, everything that we do must be to the glory of God. Secondly, since people are God's priority, everything we do should do people good and not harm. But thirdly, if you glorify God, and if you serve people well for their good, at some point, I'm talking about as a professional, there should be gratification that comes to you because if it doesn't, you're not going to be around for long to glorify God and do good to people. So when you establish that cafe I was talking about, that, that cafe is established for one reason with three prongs, the glory of God, the good of people, and then the gratification of the person who cafeed it and all of those who contribute. Doctor's office, when you open your, your medical practice, it should be for the glory of God, for the good of people, and then when they pay you, the gratification of the, uh, the practitioner. Now, that's not all. But you see, the gratification, hear me well, the gratification is not just the, the, the monetary gratification. The gratification is the satisfaction that comes from a job well done. Didn't you read the scripture where the Bible says that uh, the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul? When you see dentists, when you see that person who was in such horrible pain, now able to say, wow, I can breathe deeply. Maybe even smile a little bit. See, that's going to gratify you. When you deal with those little children that live in a household where they don't get dental care and you're able to get them on a schedule of, of cleaning and teach them how to care for those teeth so that they'll last them a lifetime, that gratifies you. I know as a teacher uh, of, uh, of students in English, when I got the impression that a young person really got what I was teaching, really understood uh, when, when, when that child that I had in exit prep uh, writing, when I was trying to get him or her to be able to write at least one well-developed paragraph because this is the thing standing between them and a diploma. When, when the guidance office called us down and told us this and passed, this and passed, this and passed, Man, I was gratified. Oh, yes. Mm, 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 mm. And even uh, though it was not my child, and even though I was not responsible for him or her not having understood when there was a child who didn't make it, not only was I not gratified, I was grieved. 
even the ones that I knew had played some and so forth, I was still grieved because you want that child to have that opportunity. See, that was the gratification. Yes, I did get a bi-monthly, I think it was, paycheck from the district, direct deposit. But but that that wasn't the only gratification. Thank God for it. It kept the lights on. But th that's not the, 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 the primary gratification. Because there's more to me than lights. There's more to you than gas in the car. Those things are need needful. Those things are vital in some regard. But the gratification is diverse. That's what I'm saying. The benefit that you get out of being the professional that you are, that gratification, that third piece is in itself manifold. Can you see it? Um, now, I want to talk to you about the fact that as a successful professional, you will profit. If you are a successful professional, you will profit. And a part of that profit may very well be, may very well be, a part of the profit may very, very well be material. And so I want to talk to you because I sincerely believe that there are many of you as you walk in greater realms of excellence and as God continues to promote you, as God continues to move you uh, into more influential and more critical roles, your, your material status is going to change. Your pay grade is going to change. And we need you prepared because many people, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 before our time runs out. Many people have been uh, raised up, elevated, as it were, in that pay grade, in their uh, lifestyle, the ability to afford certain things, and it ruined them. It ruined them. I don't want you to be that person. God does not need to wait for a whole new generation of professionals to rise and fall again because they could not handle what he placed within their grasp. The book of First Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. God needs the people. I was saying to our professionals here uh, at the Door of Hope yesterday, God needs a group of people he can trust. He wants to, to, to place some things within your grasp, but he wants to know that he can trust. Now, he, God already knows, but he wants you to demonstrate that, that he can trust you. So in the book of First Timothy chapter 6, Listen to Paul instructing Timothy. Verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world. He's talking to the believers now. Rich in this world. He means in this world's goods. Charge them that are rich in this world. So, so, have you ever seen the Jesus movies that they make these days? You notice everybody's ragtag and dirty looking. Notice that the little robes a raggedy. Well, that's not biblical because the Bible says here that Paul is telling Timothy how to instruct the rich among them. No, there are some wealthy, all the way back in Acts chapter 4, there are wealthy believers, really Acts chapter 2, but we get the explicitness of it in, in Acts chapter 4. Yeah, yeah, they've always been wealthy believers. Some were wealthy before they became believers and some became wealthy as a result of having been and being a believer. Let's hurry. First Timothy chapter six, he says, charge them that are rich in this world. That is, you're rich in the natural. All of us should be rich in the spirit. He said, but I want you to deal with those that are rich in the natural. He says that they be not high-minded. Oh, that they be not arrogant. Are you all reading with me? How many times have we seen people whom God blessed become convoluted, snobbish? Come on, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. Just because you have it in the bank today, just because you have it in the garage today, just because you're living in that large uh, domicile today, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's always going to be that way. It's uncertain. 
but in the living God. Don't trust in those resources. Trust in the living God. Look at what it says. Who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Anybody who tells you that God does not want you to be happy, that God does not want you to be fulfilled, that God does not want you to be gratified, they didn't read this, not with an understanding. It is God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Now, that does not mean, so you got to hear the whole lesson, got to hear the whole lesson. That does not mean that God wants you to live with a materialistic, consumeristic, self-centered, egocentric kind of mindset. No. Financial increase is not to be your goal unless you are a financial consultant, of course, for somebody or in your building your family wealth. But but what I'm saying is that's not your goal. That's that's a that's a means to an end. You're not going after the material. You're going after making a positive, lasting God contribution to the world, knowing that if you do that properly, it's going to cause you to reap some things, including material benefit. But material benefit in and of itself can't be your goal. You, the reason why it can't be your goal is because you'll never reach it. You'll never be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied. Greed is never satisfied. And so, so financial increase can't be your goal. It can be a means to an end. What is that end? Uh, a, a life where we don't struggle. We're not wondering about how we're going to educate the children and so forth. That's the means, but the end is a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. First Timothy chapter two, verses one through four. Yeah, that's good. So I need you to have a grip on that because God wants to, uh, needs to be able to trust you. My goodness. All right, J just a couple more minutes to finish reading the text here. He says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, not trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So in other words, Pastor Bellamy, Minister Colvin, Brother Lee, Sister Boatwright, God, uh, Mother Swinney, God has no problem with you enjoying life, the natural life. He has no problem with that. He has no problem with it whatsoever. And if you run into religious people who have a problem with it, that's them and their religion. That's not the word of God. Minister Hamlin, that professor, no disrespect, I don't know him or her. Please don't tell me anything about him or her. But either that professor is ignorant or dishonest. When God created humanity, he placed humanity not in a desert. He placed them in a garden. Why did he put them in a garden if he didn't want us to be wealthy, didn't want us to be rich, didn't want us to have more than enough? That's foolishness. Why does the Bible say in the 13th chapter of the book of Genesis, and Abram, God's covenant man, was very rich. God has no, why did the devil tell God concerning Job in, in, in chapter one? You have blessed him on every side. You've increased the works of his hand and you put a hedge of protection around about him. Why did, why did the devil tell God the truth for once in his life? You know, he's a liar. But why would he, you know, use the line to God because God knows everything. The devil is telling God what's true about what God has done for Job. Why would God do that if it's not God's will? That's somebody either ignorant or being dishonest. Because the same one that tells you that God wants you broke is the one that's got two houses and three vehicles uh, and a beach house too. Don't let me go off on that. Have I already gone off or I'm coming back on? So listen to what he said. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, not trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. All right? But now listen to what he says. This is what you do to keep a handle on this. That they do good. What do we say that three-pronged purpose is? The glory of God for the professional. The glory of God the good of people, and then the gratification of the one who serves. 
that they do good, that they be rich in good works. Rich in good works. You can't sleep in but one bed at a time. Help somebody else get a bed. You can't live in but one house at a time. Help to put somebody else in a shelter. You understand what he's saying there? He said, be rich in good works. Ready to distribute. Have a generous heart. Have a generous mind. Have a willingness to help others. Look at what it says. Willing to communicate. Again, that's willing to share. This word communicate has to do with sharing resources. Verse 19, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. In other words, you don't just need, you don't just need a bank account. You need a God account. You don't just need accounts at whatever your friendly neighborhood bank is, you need an account in heaven that when you stand before God, he may reward you for the good works you've done. You don't go to heaven because of good works. You go to heaven because Jesus died and you receive him as your savior. But when you go in eternity to stand before God, you will be rewarded based upon the good works that you've done from your heart. You can't buy a crown now. But if you serve God and serve people from the depth of your heart with the resources that he's entrusted in your hand, you will be rewarded. And there's some people who are wealthy on the earth, but they're broke in heaven. And then there's some people who are broke on the earth, but they're wealthy in the world to come. But our God says through Paul to Timothy again, that godliness is profitable in all things, having promise of the life that is and the life that is to come. All right. Thank you so much. We've got to close. You've been uh, a very gracious class today. And uh, I hope that you have been benefited. I really do. I hope I, I've enjoyed being with you. I hope you uh, enjoyed uh being with us. Um, I want to give you the reference for the one final verse that I quoted here. And uh, I know it's right here where we are. It's just that I'm not focusing to see it. So let me just put it up uh, in the concordance. It is Four and eight. Yeah, see, I'm on the page. It says, for the bodily exercise profited little. Listen, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. God doesn't mind you having a bank account and a God account. If you got to choose one or the other, certainly choose the God account but he doesn't force the choice. In other words, he doesn't force them as all, all either or. No, no, both and. If you are a kingdom professional, he says he will cause you to have profit in this life and in the life to come. Oh, Brother Blue, you're preaching the health and wealth and prosperity gospel. No, boo. I am preaching the gospel. And one aspect of the gospel is that if you serve God well with the gifts and talents and resources that he has accorded to you, you will bring glory to God, you will bring good to people, and God will bring gratification in your life. And a part of that gratification will include that you will have material benefit. Will you be a billionaire? I can't promise you that. Will you be a millionaire? I can't promise you that. But I can promise you that God says here, godliness is profitable in this life. And I can promise you that the apostle Paul said that my God shall supply all your need. And I can promise you that we just read 1 Timothy 6, 17, that our God gives you richly all things to enjoy. But hey, when you begin to enjoy all things richly, instead of trying to get freaky, 
instead of using profanity, instead of uh, getting shot up and lit up, you go up in worship. You tell God, thank you. When you're in the condo, when you're in the beach house or the cabin, or when you're on the cruise, or when you're in the penthouse on the, uh, in the high rise, when you're on Madison Avenue or Wall Street or Fifth Avenue, when you're in the halls of power, when you're in at the tables of influence, make sure that while you're there, you're giving God the glory. You may not be able to be overt with it. You might not be able to say, hallelujah, like, you know, there's no, no, that's okay. But down in your spirit, Father, I bless you. I know that the only reason why I'm at this table, the only reason why I'm in this organization, the only reason why I have this invitation, the only reason I'm speaking to this audience of tens of thousands is because you have honored me. You have given me an assignment, and I thank you for entrusting me. I won't let you down. That's what you say, King of Professionals, when God places you as he's going to place you, and as many of you, he's placing you even as I speak. Well, our time has come and gone. I want to thank you for sharing a measure of your day with me. Go forth today and lead. Make the name of our Lord Jesus Christ glorious. Make the career of Satan brief and miserable. Together, we are determined, we are committed to bring pleasure to Christ's heart and fame to his name. Until we meet again at the appointed hour, may the peace of God go with Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP, the podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes to join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M.A. Blue on all platforms. Also join the FKP Weekly Conversation Live every Monday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. May God bless you until we meet again.